This episode of The Bittersweet Life is brought to you by Stackery. Stackery is the global leader in international parcel forwarding from the U.S. With Stackery.com, you can shop at any U.S. retailer and ship anywhere at prices up to 80% less than directly from the store. Stackery also provides free storage, same-day consolidation of your packages, and a tax-free U.S. address. As a Bittersweet Life listener, save 10% off your first shipment by using the coupon MANJA. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today we're taking on a pretty uh, heavy topic coming out of those Rome Tips episodes that we've been doing that everybody's been writing and so happy about. (laughs) Sorry to be a buzzkill here, but we in the United States have been having a pretty heavy news cycle right now. Uh, It feels like all year long has been a pretty heavy news cycle, to be honest. But Mm -hmm. um, right now we're talking about guns again. We had another school shooting, I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe that since 2018 happened, we've had eight so far. Which, you know, it's only been two months, and we've had eight school shootings already. The most recent one was in Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, which killed 17 people. Most of those were students. Uh, But this time, the news cycle is a little bit different. It's not just thoughts and prayers and stories about who died. It is about the teenagers in Florida who have stood up and are fighting back, saying that they are ready for change and they do not want to see this ever happen again. And it's been really interesting to watch because for whatever reason, they are getting some serious traction for the first time ever. And it's been so inspiring. It sort of reminds me of the civil rights movement in a way when you start seeing the civil rights movement getting an extra charge by young people becoming involved. It sort of feels that same way um, with these young people getting involved. And they are saying that they will not back down and they're planning a march out of their schools on March 24th, where they're going to just walk out of class. And they're trying to get students across the whole country to do it. And you're starting to see big, huge universities here saying, if you do that, you will not be penalized as far as we're concerned. Yes, I saw that. Places like Yale is doing it. And you're also starting to see certain corporations getting behind them, which is interesting. Corporations that usually offer benefits to being an NRA member are starting to pull back and say, we're not extending these offers to you anymore. So that might be just very incremental or very much uh, opportunistic, but it feels hopeful at least. And it's been a while since you lived in the United States, Tiffany, but for a really long time now, it's felt completely hopeless. There's nothing that we can do because we can't get the politicians to do anything about our gun laws. Well, for me, it was after the Sandy Hook massacre. Yeah. If you think to yourself, I mean, we all know what happened at that school. If that kind of a thing cannot change people's minds, then nothing can. Like, that was how I saw it. I said, if this cannot galvanize Washington to change the laws and also just change the hearts of the people, the people who are so obsessed with the Second Amendment and so obsessed with what they think it means, and I'm not trying to say that I want to get rid of the Second Amendment, so don't misunderstand me. But I thought, if that can't do it, then really nothing can. Mm -hmm. So I'm pleasantly surprised to see that there is finally a little tiny bit of movement here. And I think the tragedy of 
Sandy Hook was that the, that the children were so young. And you cannot expect elementary school survivors to become activists. But there's a difference. These kids are high school students. That means that they are old enough to be able to be eloquent and articulate and to have their own thoughts and to research things and to figure things out and, and to speak their minds. But it also means that they're young enough to be a little bit idealistic, mm -hmm. despite what they've been through, to be believers in their cause. And I think it, there's a reason why people are often attracted to young politicians, because you think that person hasn't been jaded yet. They still have their ideals. They still have their, the things that they believe in. So it's kind of like this perfect age. Yeah, and they're also going to be able to vote soon if they can't already. I know. I know. <laughs> they're That's at, the at best the cusp part. Of 17, 16, 17, 18 years old. I was listening to a news report and they had some psychologists come in, people who specifically look at these gun tragedies and how we as a country respond to them. And they were saying that when you're an adult and you've lived through it over and over and over and over and over again, that you do get this kind of fatigue that says, well, nothing can be done. And so you just sort of assume that nothing can be done because you've tried in the past and it, it never works. They were also saying that these kids, they don't have that fatigue. They see it and they say, what do you mean nothing can be done? We can get this done. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I don't know if anybody's been talking about this, but frankly, you know, they're the ones with their lives on the line. You and I aren't going to school every day with the possibility of being shot. I know. I know. We go around in the streets in the United States and there's always, it feels like, the possibility that you're going to be shot. But we're not the ones that are in schools where this has become sort of a thing, where angry teenagers blow each other away unfortunately. And so in some ways, they're stepping up and saying, hey, you know, our lives are actually on the line here. And I think that that makes them also have more at stake. And they've also lost their friends. I mean, I remember being a teenager. And when you're a teenager, there is no one more important than your friends. Yeah. Your parents take a back seat for those years and your friends become your life. If I were to have seen my best friends killed at that age, I would have lost my mind and I would be doing the same thing. Yeah. If we had come out of the dark room, I feel like I would have just gone into the dark room and shut the door and wept for months. And I think that's also what's so impressive is that they are weeping openly in the public eye. Yeah. It's amazing how they've been able to appear on these talk shows and in these public town halls and things. And, and this goes for the parents as well and not just like break down sobbing. I cry watching it. I don't know how they don't cry sitting there talking about it. But back to what we were saying about their age, if you look around the world at some of the greatest revolutions that have happened, I mean, so many of them have been student revolutions. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. And I think it's, it goes back to the, the optimism and idealism and innocence of young people who haven't become jaded and haven't spent 40 or 50 or 60 years hearing no, 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 no. Yeah. I don't know that we had anything that was the equivalent when we were in high school. Something we would have gotten behind. Can you remember? There was something. I don't think it was student-led, but I think there were a lot of young people involved, and that was when the, the Berlin Wall came down. That's true. We were 12 or 13, I think, at that time. Mm -hmm. So I want to play a clip to get us into a more international view of this because people, if they're paying attention to the United States, have heard everything and I don't know how much we can actually add. But the person whose video is getting the most traction right now is a senior named Emma Gonzalez. She kind of 
very early on largely became the voice for the Parkland students. And in some ways, she became the voice for students anywhere in this very emotional speech that she gave. She's screaming into the microphone, so the distortion is all over the map. And so this clip is going to, you know, be a little distorted and loud. And she's crying at the same time as talking. But she does talk about the United States versus the international picture. So let's take a listen. I found out today that there's a website called shootingtracker.com. Nothing in the title suggests that it is exclusively tracking, tracking the USA's shootings. And yet, does it need to address that? because Australia had one mass shooting in 1999 in Port Arthur Massacre, introduced gun safety, and they haven't had one since. Japan. Japan has never had a mass shooting. so that they can be formulated into statistics at your convenience. I watched an interview this morning and noticed that one of the questions was, do you think your children will have to go through other shoot school shooter drills? And our response is that our neighbors will not have to go through other school shooter drills when we have had our say with the government and maybe the adults have gotten used to saying it is what it is. But if us students have learned anything, it's that if you don't study, you will fail. And in this case, if you actively do nothing, people continually end up dead. So it's time to start doing something. We, we are going to be the kids that you read about in textbooks. Not because we are going to be another statistic about mass shootings in America, but because, just as David said, we are going to be the last mass shooting. Yeah, I can't watch that video. I've watched it so many times, the whole thing, and I cannot get through it. You know me, I'm a heart on my sleeve, but I cannot get through it without crying. I just can't. <laughs> I just can't. Yeah. For me, what gets me is the... What got me the most was the, the audio of the, I didn't watch it, but I heard the audio of one of the recordings that one of the kids had done in the middle of this whole event, and it just, I couldn't take it. I was texting with a friend of mine, another young mom, and we were texting about something completely different. She lives over here, like I do, and she'd just come back from the visit to the States with her toddler, and she was you know, kind of saying, oh, in the States, you know the preschools are so much better and this is so much so much more organized and I don't know how long, much longer I can stay in Italy. I think we're going to move back to the States and what do you think? And I said, honestly, I'm not moving back there until the gun laws change. Hmm. And she was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> she just had like an instant change of heart. And I think that having a kid is really what would stop me today from moving back to the States because... I'm not going to put my kid in a situation where he could very likely get shot, send him to school and then have to worry that he's not going to come home. Now, every parent worries about their kid, no matter what, because anything can happen. I mean, they can get hit by a car. They can, there's numerous things that we try not to think about, but we all don't list them all. <laughs> we all do think about them, but 
there's something about the school shootings that just the numbers are staggering. And like you said earlier, we're not the ones who have to go in, into those American high schools and have to put ourselves at risk. But parents are sending their kids there. And if I have a choice, I'm not going to send my kid there. And that's something that as an expat, I have the privilege to decide. Not everyone does. Not everyone can just say, oh, I'm just going to move to a different country. So I'm very aware that that's a privilege of someone who has dual citizenship. I take for granted, I've realized now that I take for granted the fact that this kind of violence doesn't happen where I live. Yeah. Despite the fact that I think some Americans might think of a country like Italy, you know, that has mafia problems and has petty crime issues, they might think of it as a dangerous place, but it doesn't even hold a candle to the United States. Mm -hmm. I think I mentioned on an old, old show, probably even when I was still in Rome, that one of the unexpected things about my year living there that I wasn't expecting was how much more relaxed I felt. And I don't consciously walk around feeling like I have a tension of expecting violence. I'm not a person who's a super freaked out person walking around the world, I don't think. But I think that there is an underlying tension in this country that you just never know. I've never been a person that wants to be in a crowd in general because I'm short. Yeah, I know. Going to a concert where I have to stand on a lawn with thousands of other people is a little bit less pleasant for me than it would be if I was six foot two and could see above everybody. I'm always deep in the crowd. Same for me. Yeah, it's hard. And so I've never liked being in crowds anyway. But then I started thinking about as part of that, not wanting to go to anywhere where there's a crowd has now become because crowds attract shooters mm -hmm. in this country. One of our big mass shootings uh, last year was people at a concert, an outdoor concert, and something like 53 of them, if, if not more, were shot. I can't remember the number. It was in the 50s. But yeah, I mean, I was not expecting to move to Italy and find that the lack of guns made me feel much more confident moving around the world. The world of the city, I guess, is what I mean. You know that famous adage, Guns don't kill people, people kill people. Mm -hmm. Well, the funny thing is that in Italy, I think that people are just as violent as they are in the United States as far as like their impulse towards violence. I mean, I don't have statistics, so it might, might be a little less, it might be a little more, but people do commit violent acts here. And as horrific as any single act of violence is towards the person on the receiving end, there is a limit to what some, one person can commit without a weapon of war, you know, that can kill numerous people at the same time. There was a man in a um, metro station. This was all caught on tape in Rome, and a woman was cutting in front of him in the line to buy tickets or something. She was trying to cut, and he wound back and punched her brutally in the face, and she fell straight backwards and hit her head so hard on the cement that she died. And that's a terrible tragedy that made me sick to think about, especially because she had a small child. And another man, I read about this recently because it happened right near where I work, right outside on the street outside my office. A guy was crossing the street with his pregnant wife and a cab driver almost hit them. He was crossing on a crosswalk. And I know drivers do this in Rome all the time. And the guy had a case of water bottles in his hand. And he started screaming at the cab driver. And the cab driver got out of the car. And the man just 
basically hit him with this these bottles of water and the guy died. The cab driver died? The cab driver died. So I'm not saying that Italians are not violent. Regular Joe Italians, I'm not talking about the mafia or anything like that. People are violent here too. And domestic abuse happens here. And it's a major problem with women being killed by their partners. It happens here too. You know, I'm not saying that Italy is not a violent place. But there is not the access to guns here that there is in the United States. And I mean, that's kind of the test. Take two different populations that have a similar tendency towards violence and see what kind of mortality rate there is. What's the difference? One country has access to guns and the other one doesn't. And I'm not saying Italians can't get guns, they can. But there's a very strict process that they have to go through. They have to have a very intense background check. They have to get a gun permit. You have to have a gun permit to own a gun. And there are certain regulations that go along with it. You have to have a safe where you can keep it. And you have to vouch for every single person who lives in your home. So if somebody in your home, your child, if you live with your mother-in-law, anybody who lives in your home, if any of them commits an act with your firearm, you are held legally responsible. These are the kind of things that make people think twice. If your gun is not put away properly and there's some kind of an accident with a child or something, you are held legally responsible. I think that these things are deterrents. And then, of course, the assault rifle weapons, I don't think that Italians can get them. I mean, I'm pretty sure um, we're talking handguns here you can have access to in Italy. So, I mean, that's just my personal opinion as far as the level of violence of these two populations. And I mean, it is kind of consequential evidence But I think that it's a pretty good debunking of that phrase. It's not guns that kill people. It's people that kills people. Or as Eddie Izzard would say, the gun helps. (laughs) Right, right. It's sort of like, look at how much damage the Italians were able to do when they were allowed to carry swords around. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. But even swords, I mean, I know this because I've studied Caravaggio, you know, you were not allowed to walk around with a sword at your side unless you had a very good reason. You had to have certain privilege in society to be able to carry a weapon like that around because it's a weapon that kills people. I mean, it does kind of make sense. I just, I mean... I don't know. Over here, they don't really, they don't really get it. They don't understand why. I mean, and, and I think that those of us in the United States, we shake our heads too. You know, those of us who are sort of the gun control advocates, we, we think, why? You know, why do these people need these guns? And we shake our heads. But here, they really don't get it. They really, really don't get it. Because us Americans, like, we all know, like, at least one person. We all have, like, that crazy uncle who collects guns or something. We have a friend of a friend or somebody. But here over in Italy, they're like, you can go as far right as you can get, and you won't find people amassing an arsenal. Right. <laughs> like yeah. it's just Well, I don't think that the vast majority of us know people who own AR-15s. I oh, think no. we know people no. who own rifles for hunting or my grandfather was a big gun enthusiast. In fact, he was a member of the NRA. I actually have his plaque hanging on my wall. I love it as a historical document, but I also love how much can change within a couple of generations. And it's part of who he was. He loved guns. I don't know that he actually often owned guns that were operational. He sort of collected historical guns. 
and had dreams of turning historical guns into lamps and things like that. But yeah, I mean, that's totally different. I, I have no idea what he would think of the idea that people can buy an AR-15, which is a war gun. And that it's something that they can just have in their homes, let alone that an 18-year-old is able to buy one. I know. And with no back... Think with about no- how angry... Well, think about how angry I was as an 18-year-old. You weren't so angry, but I was a pretty angry person back then. As Suzanne said, what made it hot was the anger was so legitimate. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Suzanne's our friend from high school. I was a pretty angry person back then. I don't think I would have killed anybody. Uh, Katie, you would not have killed anybody. For God's sake, Katie. But I remember that kind of rage that can come of being a teenager and just imagine that that rage is turned up even higher and you can just go get an assault weapon. I mean, it's nuts. You're not thinking rationally at 18. You're immortal at 18. Well, here's the thing. I read a book on the brain written by a neurosurgeon or a neuroscientist. And it explains how your prefrontal lobe, I hope I'm getting this right, which is kind of like your conscience, sort of. It's kind of the thing that like, stops you from eating 25 cookies or you know or the thing that's like I really actually have to get up and go to work you know I shouldn't call in sick yeah I shouldn't call in sick every day or just not wake up just like stay in bed that part of your brain is not fully developed until you're 25 years old Hmm. so part of me it's like maybe the age limit should be 25 not 21 21 is kind of an arbitrary age anyway yeah 25 is when you can rent a car yeah i mean and there's a reason for that there's a reason for that totally different direction here though is there anything equivalent in italy like okay there's nothing equivalent to our gun laws or lack thereof in the united states but is there anything equivalent in italy where it's just sort of this why are they doing it that way not just your crazy complicated bureaucracy but (laughs) that's what i was gonna say (laughs) but like sort of a way things are that why would that be the way that things are in modern society i think there are things like that here but i think the difference is they don't cause the deaths of thousands of people a year right there are definitely huge flaws in the way that this country is run and there are a lot of injustices i feel like in italy in the way that the work environment works, even in the way that university systems work. And I think there's a lot of just unfairness. But again, that's not killing thousands of people, innocent people every year. Just killing their souls. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> their ambitions. Does, sometimes that does happen. Often, their probably. Yeah. Um, but I yeah. think, I also think on both sides of this, the flaws to the Italian system and the whole American gun thing, I think so much of it is so wrapped up in the cultural psyche of the place. I mean, I can see that in Italy so much in, you know, this sort of attitude that people have that why bother? The Italian classic attitude, why bother? Why bother? Because I don't know the right people, so I won't get anywhere anyway, so why bother? Or why bother working hard? I'll never lose my job anyway. Or why bother? I'll never get a raise anyway. It's kind of this mentality. Why bother studying if my colleagues are just going to cheat anyway? I think there is a similar cultural psyche, but I don't think it's pervasive. It's been sort of harnessed by this one sort of subset of people. And that is this very old cultural history dating back to the Revolutionary War. 
I know that sounds crazy, but stick with me. Are you talking about the United States or Italy right now? I'm talking about the United States. Okay. In the United States, I feel like because we are a country that was born in revolution, mm-hmm. there is this sort of cultural holdover of we have to be able to protect ourselves if the government ever turns on us. Right. The way that you know they felt turned on by the English, apparently. That's what the Second Amendment is there for. Just in case the government ever turns on us, I've got my AR-15s. But the problem is you can have 20 AR-15s and you can have 20 kids to shoot them. But you're never going to be able to outshoot the U.S. Army. <laughs> like, it's just not going to happen. That's true. It's sad. It would never happen. So if that's your excuse for why you need those guns, if you're a hunter and you want to have a hunting rifle, go for it. Get your permit. Prove that you have the right to have a gun. Collect them if you want. And if you want to have a handgun because you live in a dangerous city and you would feel safer with a handgun, get your permit and get your handgun. Fine. But if you need to have an AR-15 because you think that the government is going to come after you and you need to fight, you need to wage war against your government, I think you're kind of crazy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think we also have the myths of uh, how much we glorify the Wild West and all that stuff of, you know, armed people fighting in the streets. Uh, And that wasn't really that long ago from a historical perspective. It's funny because we've talked about it before, too. When you live in Europe, like you do, you have such a different view on history. And our country is so young. Sometimes things seem like they happened a really long time ago, but it really wasn't a long time ago. It was just a few generations ago. So um, like my grandfather's grandfather fought and lost an arm in the Civil War. Mm. That's not that long ago. We like to think of these things as being ancient history, like slavery or equality or the Revolutionary War even. And all of that stuff really wasn't that long ago. We're still suffering from the readjustments to all of those things, and we will for a really long time to come. So unless these teenagers keep it going and manage to like get the AR-15s out of our out of our hands. Yeah, and save the world. Other countries have not only banned these weapons, they have come and taken them from people who own them. And it's not unreasonable to think, although it has felt unreasonable to think, that that could happen here. That it's not just that you can't have them, that I will actually come and take it away from you now because you shouldn't have it to begin with. Well, you know, to all the people who are like, oh, especially like politicians who say, oh, well, you know, it's impossible to change. It'll be impossible. We'll never be able to make a difference. And all you have to do is change the handle and then it'll be okay. Was Marco Rubio, his argument. Think about right after 9-11, how much changed, particularly with air travel. Think about after there were those shoe bombers, how much, you know, how instantly that happened. All of a sudden, you have to take your shoes off at the airport. One shoe bomber, I believe. One shoe bomber. One One shoe bomber. And then the the, the liquid bomber thingy. Mm -hmm. Okay, this happened one time, maybe, maybe twice. And from now on, we all have to take our shoes off at the airport. And we cannot carry a bottle of water or a bottle of shampoo or even a jar of my mother's homemade lemon marmalade which I had to like leave at the airport, which was a tragedy. I also had to leave a, a jar of marmalade at the airport. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what, what are the odds? <laughs> anyway, the point is, these things were instantly implemented 
And with the exception of like a few people grumbling about it, we grumble about our marmalade. Whatever, it's the price we pay for being safe. And, you know, maybe it's a little bit exaggerated, but you know what? That's the price that we're going to pay. Am I going to really make a big deal about not being able to bring my marmalade when it could save somebody's life? I feel like that's what most reasonable people think. They think, I don't want to take my shoes off, but we got to do this. We all got to do this so that we'll be safer. How many people die in those terror acts? How many people, if you look over the years, have died in that kind of terrorist attack? It's like a tiny percentage compared to people who die from guns. And so why can't they take similar measures? I don't understand. I mean, I'm sounding really naive. I, I can hear the naiveness coming out of my mouth right now, the naivete. But I just kind of feel like one single act can cause this immediate effect that probably helps, hopefully. Why can't we do similar things? Why can't you say, okay, changing the handle is not enough. That's a loophole. We're not going to make it possible for you to just change the handle and call it a different type of gun. Change that little loophole law. Don't hide inside of that loophole. Because that's what Marco Rubio was doing when he was on the stage with that student. He was, or I can't remember what he was talking to a father or a student, but he was saying, all they're going to do is change the handle and then they're going to be able to sell the gun. So it's not going to do anything. And like throwing up his hands. Okay, then change the law that says you can change the handle. Like It's not that difficult if you have an entire government of people working on it. They did it in 9-11. They did it with the shoe bomber and the water bomber. So why can't, I don't know, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Getting upset. Well, you know, that is the big question of our political system and how much control certain organizations have within it. But that's a larger conversation for another yeah, day. We're not going to be able to tackle that. You guys' politics is also in the news right now. And we're not going to go We're down. not going to go down that rabbit hole. Oh, God, no. No, <laughs> but needless to say, our people are saying it's time for you in Italy to start paying attention to who's running in, for uh, leadership in your country, too, right now. Well, <laughs> I, I totally plead guilty on that because I have been so obsessed with American politics for the past <laughs> two years, especially the past year and a half, that I have not been following Italian politics. I really need to do some studying because I'm voting next weekend. Yeah, and it, apparently there's quite a bit at stake. I don't know enough about it either because I don't know who all the party players are. It's quite complicated. It's not black and white and it's not red and blue. Right, exactly. So I, I got a bit of studying to do. I mean, I have the people that like I'm leaning towards, which are, I'll just be honest, I don't, I'm not going to hide my, I clearly am not going to hide my political opinions because we've <laughs> blasting our political opinions since November 2016. You're clearly against the gun lobby. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm leaning towards the Cinque Stelle movement, which is kind of like the anti-establishment movement. But I'm going to do a little more research before I jump fully on their bandwagon because the leader of the party is like 31 years old. <laughs> and that's not that long after the brain fully matures. <laughs> right. It's like a little bit too close. <laughs> yeah, he can barely rent a car in the United States. Yeah. Use caution. One last question for you. Is this an issue when it comes to being an expat that you can not only be away, I'll just use the guns as an example. You not only have the privilege of being away from the guns, but you also have the privilege of paying attention to what our country is doing and not paying attention to where you're living. It's like you get to stand in the, the tree house and survey the land, mm -hmm. but you're not within the rifle hairs, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly how I felt on election night. I felt like 
as upset as I was, I wasn't living it in the way that you guys were who live there because I had this sort of like safe, quote unquote, safe place where I can just retreat to. I've become much more involved. I don't want to say involved. That's not the right word, but let's just say interested in and following American politics since November 2016. (laughs) But I don't think that that excuses me from not following the politics of the country I'm living in and the country that I'm now a citizen of. So I'm doing it, but I don't necessarily think that I should be doing it. Like my brain can't take any more politics and I'm already feeding it. So that's my excuse. (laughs) Do you think you'd ever get to the point where you stopped following American politics so closely? Oh, sure. Yeah. If like a normal person got elected president, sure. (laughs) You just go back on easy street. Yeah. 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 (laughs) No. I mean, I'd like to see some changes. I don't know. I think a lot of us feel like this. A lot of us who aren't, you know, true activists and who aren't involved in politics, I think we follow it almost as if we think that we need to be following it when the truth is we're not making any difference. We're not changing things one way or the other, but we feel like we need to be following it. Mm -hmm. I feel like I have to know every day. The first thing I, I do, like while I'm brushing my teeth in the morning is I check the headlines because I have to know. And I think to myself, why do I have to know? What does it matter to the world if I know this stuff or not? I could find out on the weekend. Would that change anything for me or for the world? Not really. Yeah, and it might actually make your life happier. I know. And I mean, that's one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot. And I would like to go that route because I think that it is making me a less fully rounded person. And it's sucking up a lot of my time. Yeah, but you still managed to release a book. Hey. To end, I want to remind those of you in Seattle that we're coming to Seattle. We're doing a live show there in just a couple weeks time from now. We'll be there March 16th, 7.30 p.m. We'll be doing a live show of The Bittersweet Life. And you can also buy Tiffany's book, Midnight in the Piazza, at that live show and get it signed by her. If you can't come to the live show, and I really hope you do, but if you can't come, you can pre-order Midnight in the Piazza right now. Pre-ordering is super, super helpful for first-time authors. So you can find that on Amazon. If you're not in the U.S., you can find it on the various international versions of Amazon. Unless you're in Italy, it's not on Amazon.it right now. For some reason, you can find it on Mondadori.it, though. We also want to thank Shannon in Seattle, who's not only coming to our live show when we're there on March 16th, she already pre-ordered 10 copies of your book. Thank you. You are my hero. You are my personal hero right now. She also put it on hold at the King County Library, my library where I used to grow up. I mean, where I used to go when I was growing up. I didn't grow up at the library. Well, kind of. a little bit, yeah. (laughs) But she put that on hold. And I said to Katie, right before we started taping, I said, why do you think she put it on hold at the library if she's ordering 10 copies? And Katie, brilliant woman that she is, said, probably because that means the library will purchase a copy. If that was your motivation, Shannon, I just want to say, bless you. That is the sweetest and most thoughtful thing that anyone that I don't know has ever done for me. So thank you so much. And if you're listening and you're so inclined, call up your local library and do the same thing. Yeah. It won't cost you anything. That's the truth. Yeah. So come to that live show. I'll put a link, a ticket link in our show notes. Don't delay. Those tickets, I'm sure, are going extremely fast they're so so hot right now yeah you don't want to you want to make sure you can actually get in 
Otherwise, I want to thank our intern, Estrella Gomez, for being terrific and for helping us out as much as she does. Check her out at lacasablaga.com. And also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Search for the Bittersweet Life podcast. If anybody out there listening is in the LA area, I'm also going to be doing a book signing and reading at Bookstar, which is a Barnes and Nobles in Studio City, California. That's going to be on Sunday, March 11th at 11 a.m. And I'm also going to be at Island Books on Mercer Island, Washington, my hometown bookstore at 4 p.m. on Sunday, March 18th. So if you are in either of those cities and you feel like stopping by, I will be there signing books and talking about Midnight in the Piazza. Yes. So many great things to do and to uh, participate. And look, Shannon will no longer be a stranger to you after a couple weeks from now because she will be there as well as many other people. And we hope that's you too, if you're in the area. And for those of you, we've gotten a lot of really nice notes about people saying, oh, I don't live anywhere near there. I'm so jealous. Thanks for your jealousy. That feels really nice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. All the more reason for the people who are in the area to actually show up and see it because there are a lot of people who don't get to because we're not going to be in their town. Anyway, we should leave it there. I guess until next week, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Kitty Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Thanks to Stackery for supporting this program. Stackery is the global leader in international parcel forwarding from the United States. With Stackery, even though you live abroad, you can shop at your favorite U.S. retailers at prices up to 80% less than directly from the store. Stackery also provides free storage, same-day consolidation of your package, and a tax-free U.S. mailing address. As a Bittersweet Life listener, you can save 10% off your first shipment. Just visit stackery.com and use the coupon code MANJA. That's M-A-N-G-I-A. We welcome your questions and your feedback. Reach the show by emailing bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at mail.com.